This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. So there's a misconception that if you're single, you are incomplete, perhaps damaged, salvaged, and you won't be happy until you find your one. And that is not true. That is bullshit. It is a message that has been fed to us by media and advertising. The truth is, when you're single, you have the richest soil for growth. That's why I created this podcast. And unlike other podcasts, this one is host-driven, not guest-driven. That means I will be rotating health and wellness experts three times a week to give you the giant box of wellness crayons, not just the primary colors, so you can start building a meaningful life. It's time to give singlehood a cape. Today's host is Rena Martin. She was a Los Angeles County Deputy District Attorney for 14 years, where she specialized in sex crimes, child abuse, and domestic violence cases. Today, she continues to serve women as an intimacy coach, educator, TEDx speaker, and author, with a mission and a fire in her belly to help women love their bodies, experience deep intimacy, and of course, have great sex, all shame-free. Enjoy, Rena Martin. I am your host, women's intimacy coach, Rena Martin, and today I am joined by the one and only Elle Chase. Elle is a multi-certified sexuality educator and coach and the author of the highly regarded book, Curvy Girl Sex, 101 Body Positive Positions to Empower Your Sex Life. Elle is a frequent guest and a regularly quoted source for international media outlets, including NBC's Today Show, ABC's Nightline, and the New York Times. Elle coaches, speaks, and teaches workshops specializing in intimacy, body acceptance, and relationships through an intersectional feminist and trauma-informed lens. Elle, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, thank you for asking me. I'm a big fan of yours, so I was, I was very flattered. Yay. Well, the feeling is mutual, and um, you know, we haven't known each other that that long. I met you earlier this year and someone who we know in common, we were all at this event and she's like, you have to meet this person. You two need to be involved in each other's <laughs> orbits. And I'm so glad I got the same did. thing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and you know, there is some overlap um, in what you and I both do. Obviously we're talking about <laughs> sex, yeah. intimacy, body image relationships, but, but body image is your big Thing. That's that's kind of your pillar. Whenever My somebody, that is your big thing. And, and when I recommend your book so often to folks now, um, especially in the DMs. Yeah. And and so let's oh. let's hear a little bit about your journey. How did you become the curvy girl sex woman that you are today? <laughs> well, I became a sex educator and uh, a body acceptance advocate, if you will, um, accidentally. I used to be in the entertainment industry and I was a producer there and I hated it and I left. Um, I got married and uh, I was in a sexless marriage for a long time. And 
something happened to me one day and I woke up and I thought, I've never experienced passion in my life. I've never enjoyed sex. I don't know why people are so into it, but there's got to be something to it. And I want to know what that's like. And I was not going to be able to find that with who I was married to, as wonderful as he was. Um, a few things happened. I'm making a long story short, but I ended up leaving my husband, divorcing him, and uh, going out in the dating scene to find this passion. But I was at the heaviest I was at that time. And I never had a good body image. I was told throughout my childhood that I was ugly and I was not the, uh, not the ideal of what any man, I'm queer, but I date men. And so what any man would want, right? So, uh, so I had that in my head as the primary idea of who I was, but this desire to experience passion was greater than my self-hatred of my body. And so I was compelled to go out and get this regardless of how I felt. And what that showed to me is that I am inherently sexy. No one has to tell me I'm sexy. My sexiness does not depend on anyone else's opinion. Uh, because I dated just fine. I did great. I dated handsome actors. I dated someone that would be considered um, unconventionally attractive, fat, short, thin, tall, athletic, non-athletic. Um, and in each one of those, I was, uh, I felt desired and learn to recognize what desire looks like as opposed to say a fetishization or someone who just wants to fuck for a night, uh, which is all important information. So as I became uh, more comfortable dating, I didn't worry about my body because I had now proven to myself that my body shape or what I looked like, my facial structure, was not going to get in the way of me having a good time and finding passion. And this began my philosophy of, of body image, which is you are inherently sexy. There is nothing anyone can do to take that away from you. And it has nothing to do with anyone else's opinion. I, I mean, just so. in, in this, thank you so much for, for sharing that history. And it brings up a lot of a lot of things for, for me that I want to touch on. Um, one is this idea yeah. of this inside out approach to sexuality where it starts internally rather than it being, you know, defined by the outside world, but really the, the bigger idea that, that we have this misconception that when I am confident, right? When X happens, then Y will follow. Once I'm confident, then I'll have good sex. Once I lose the weight, then X will happen. When really, it the action precedes the confidence. And that's what I'm hearing you say, that mm -hmm. once you actually went out there and started having really good sex, you're like, wait a second. I was sexy all along. That that sometimes mm -hmm. we have to do the and, damn thing yeah. in order to become confident at the thing. 
Yeah. And I think that's how humans are wired too. You know, we have to learn new things. Our, our brains are always going to want to protect us. So if we were abused as children, uh, experienced a great deal of trauma, uh, if kids in the playground told us we were ugly, uh, that is what our brain is protecting us for then the rest of our lives. And so we need to retrain our brain. And so it's, it, for me, it just happened to be uh, wrapped up in a package of find your sexuality, find passion, enjoy sex. Uh, but with that came the gift of body confidence. And it's not enough for people. Let me back up. The body positivity move, movement, um, and I say that actually in quotes, um, has been perverted in a way. Uh, body positivity is great, but the movement itself, it, first of all, it's been it's been uh, co-opted by white women, um, and it was because it was started by black queer women and men um, in the '60s. The body positivity movement. Um, so that is one problem alone, but also it's a commodified term. So what it tells you is, I want to be body positive, and you know, I'm going to love my body, and I'm going to do all these things and do this kind of yoga and buy the yoni eggs and do all those things. And I'm going to be sexy and confident in my body. And, and the thing is, that's all external stuff. The thing is, is that no one is going to be able to tell you to get confident. You have to find that. And you won't be able to come to the solution in one book with, with one person that says, uh, I've got the ticket. Um, our inner world is way more nuanced than that. And we deserve a, a, a path that is possible that honors that nuance. And so what I like to talk about is not body positivity so much as relief. Relief toward acceptance. And acceptance being more of the goal because you can't go from hating your body to loving your body. It doesn't work that way. You can't get from A to Z without going through the rest of the alphabet. And it's too far a reach for a lot of us. If we are, you know, assigned female at birth and have grown up like that, um, with all of the trauma that we didn't ask for that came upon us, that is thrust upon us without us knowing it um, in the form of media, it is, it is almost cruel to ask us to love our bodies and mm. not give us um, the feeling that if you don't get there, it's okay. Yeah. You are whole no matter what, and you are sexy no matter what, and you deserve pleasure and you deserve support. And, uh, and people will find you attractive. I get that a lot of people saying, but, but so-and-so wasn't attracted to me. And all the, all the people that I'm attracted to aren't attracted to me. That's not a body problem. That's, that's a relational issue with yourself. And that is, that is a worldview problem. That is other stuff. It's not because of the way you look at your body. Um, it can be part of it, but it's not the reason you're picking 
you know, quote unquote, the wrong people. Am I making sense? Absolutely. Um, and I, I mean, you and I both live in Los Angeles. I mean, <laughs> yes. need, need we say more that, yeah, that, uh -huh. that, that two, um, two women who live in Los Angeles who are dealing with the added layer of the pressure in a very image centered city that, um, I say to folks often, yeah. all it took was you looking like a nine or 10 to become confident, right? Mm -hmm. We would have a lot more confident yeah. women surrounding us here. And, and so yes. I'm glad that you, you point yes. out that there, that there, there's something more going on, um, there, but, but this idea of perspective, cause I, I will encourage people sometimes to think mm -hmm. about, okay, who's the best lover. Think about the best lover you've ever had. Right. And, and think about that mm -hmm. person. And did that person have the, and I'm using air quotes, did that person have the perfect, I use yep. air quotes because perfection is bullshit, but did that person yeah. right. have the, the conventionally beautiful, again, air quotes, body, mm -hmm. or was that person yeah. simply very comfortable in their skin and owning who they are, regardless mm -hmm. of height, weight, penis size, hair, lack of hair, any of those things, right? And, and, and mm -hmm. this idea, well, I don't look like the women that he sees in porn. I'm just going to use this as, as something I've heard often from women. Yeah. Well, do you think, do you think, he, yeah. right. Do you think he's used to sleeping with women who look like the women that he watches in porn? Right. And, yeah. and the flip side yeah. is true. It's like, yeah. Like, because I think that, that porn can also, don't get me wrong. I don't think porn's the devil. I think it's a tool that can be a very useful tool. However, I think porn does as much damage for, um, for male presenting bodies as, as for female ones in terms of size, in terms of performance. So, uh, there are, we don't talk that often about, about, penis insecurity when we're talking about body acceptance and body image. So I don't want to leave that off yeah. the table here. No. And I think you bring up a very good point because with the lack of sex education in this country and with uh, it dwindling now, not going forward, but taking many steps back, uh, it is so important that we explain to people that porn is not education. It is entertainment. So it is like me saying that I, I will be, I, I will be dating people that look like Brad Pitt and expecting that kind of movie star look and, or that uh, it's like learning how to drive from Fast and the Furious. You don't want right. to learn to drive from Fast and the Furious. Those people are professionals. They're athletes. And uh, they're doing something for entertainment and everything is shot in a certain way to make it look great. And that includes penis size. That includes performance. These people train. They are athletes. And um, so porn literacy is a huge, huge issue. And that includes being uh, included in sex education and would really go a long way to help with, um, with body image, to see it in a different frame, to to pick out the construct of it and see it as it is, which is um, a Julia Roberts movie, basically. It's pretty yeah. Right, Back right. 
And, and I feel like we, we have more options now in terms of ethically produced porn in terms of, I hate the term yeah. amateur porn because it suggests that two people having sex mm -hmm. don't know what they're doing unless they're actors. But, um, you know, I, I have seen yeah. clients seek out, um, amateur or non-actor porn as a way to, to foster positive body image, like, wow. I'm watching people of all shapes and yes. sizes oh. enjoying themselves. Well, I don't know if, you know, yes. Yeah. And it's a huge positive addition to who they are personally and to um, a partnership. If they're in a partnership, I don't know if you knew this about me, but I had a site for 10 years called Lady Cheeky. And it was a Tumblr site where I curated uh, porn. And uh, it was- You never cease to amaze me. A, female. <laughs> um, it's still there and everything, but the whole bent of it was I only posted things that turned me on personally. And I posted all different kinds of bodies, all different kinds of, um, of fetishes and sexualities. And sometimes there was mainstream porn, but most of it was focused on connection and passion because that's what I was looking for, right? And the reason it became so popular at the time was I was, my audience was 50-50 heterosexual men and heterosexual women mostly. And they were all saying, I, have, I haven't felt this in my body while watching porn before. I didn't know I could get turned on by this. I have always stayed away from mainstream porn because I compare myself to what I'm seeing up there the bodies, the boobs, how to do anal sex, how to do a ton of different things, right? Um, and now they are seeing that, they can see that in ethical porn and, um, and they are now seeing that there are different versions of that out there. And it is so craved for to see yourself represented in an erotic way, because when you don't like what you see in the mirror, to see yourself reflected back erotically um, I think Chris Donahue said this, uh, is ultra empowering. It's, it's revolutionary. And so getting to that for people who want it, um, is, is really, uh, a huge, huge burden lifted off of their, their self-hatred. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Because, you know, like I say with, we have to be mindful of our media consumption because what we see affects yeah. our, our reticular activating system. It affects the way that we view the world. It's, you know, the lenses that, that we look at things through. Um, I have my clients, well, I do have them watch some porn, but I also have them take an erotic photo. This doesn't need to be, you know, up close and personal triple X rated porn shot, but, yeah. but take a photo, um, practice seeing yourself through an erotic gaze. And I, I don't require yes. them to share it with me. Um, a few of them have, they've asked permission beforehand and shared with mm -hmm. me and, and these beautiful, you know, pieces of art where many of them have said, one, I've either never taken a photo like this before, or two, I've taken photos like this, but never just for me. And so again, it's, it's cultivating that inside out approach to, to sexiness and sexuality rather than this outside in like mm -hmm. this, this is just for me. Um, and, and 
I've had more than a few then report, you know, I turned myself on by, by looking at these photos of myself. Yep. Right. Yeah. It's, and, and it can work the other way too with boudoir photography or erotic photography. Um, just by being courageous and brave and throwing yourself into a position where you are supposed to be erotic um, and you are supposed to be sexy, even when you don't feel like it, you kind of work up to being aroused and being sexy and feeling into your sexuality. And that's why a lot of people do what you do, which is a great suggestion, is to take an erotic photo of themselves or go hire an erotic photographer if you have the, if you have the means or have your partner or best friend take erotic photography of you and see how it makes you feel. Notice how it makes you feel all the way through because it, it can, that can be a game changer. Agreed. I did yeah. my first boudoir photo shoot earlier this year, and I was actually inspired by several of my clients who had gone and done it. And I thought, oh my gosh, I haven't done this. And, you know, I've, I've now for better or for worse set, set through a few professional photo shoots and I'm always, I'm always awkward, yeah. but this boudoir shoot, I have never felt so comfortable around somebody while walking around almost naked the entire time. And it was so, and I hate to throw out the word empowering because it, you know, it's kind of become diluted to the sense I know. It, to an extent, right. <laughs> but it was so yeah. empowering. And she met me where I was at. Some of the photos were cheeky and kind of cute and playful because that's my vibe. Um, some of them had a kink element because that's also my vibe. She wasn't trying to fit me into a box of what boudoir photography is supposed to look like, which I absolutely mm -hmm. loved about the experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. I saw a couple of those photos and they were gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. And you looked so open and free. It was really nice to see. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I, I, I have not shared all of them because, you know, Instagram and, and whatnot, but <laughs> yeah, but thank you for the kind words. I mean, yes. I, this is me advocating for, um, for boudoir shoot. If you, if you can, if you mm -hmm. can afford to do it, if you live in a city where you can find one or improvise, have a friend come mm -hmm. over, you know, like have fun with it. Um, so yeah, while we're, well, I want to circle back to this, to this pressure of body love, right? And mm -hmm. one person whose perspective I really appreciate. And so I want to kind of see where does this fit into this spectrum of body neutrality, body acceptance? Um, Sonia Renee Taylor, who wrote The Body is Not an Apology. And mm -hmm. she talks about this mm -hmm. notion of radical self-love, meaning that when we were born, when we were little babies, we loved our bodies. We were kind of obsessed mm -hmm. with our bodies. We thought that our bodies were the coolest thing ever. And so that's, that was our starting point. And then as we grow up, as, as we, you know, live in, in the societies that we live in, it's almost like we have these layers of toxicity that, that start piling up on top of us, like gunk, like we're, we're, we're covered yeah. in these layers upon layers, but this idea that if we could kind of wash them all off, scrape them off, scrub them off, then underneath all of that is actual love. 
right? And so how how do you reconcile that notion with the idea that that promoting body love is unrealistic and in itself can become toxic? This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters and What do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Yes, this is how I reconcile that. Both and. Uh, I love Sonia Renee Taylor. I'm a patron on her Patreon she is a goddess and uh, a wizard as far as I am concerned. She has a, a different philosophy of how she goes about it and who she attracts are people that will benefit from that philosophy and get to where they want to go through that. Right. Like you and I do very similar things. I'm an intimacy and relationship coach and do body image. You do the same thing, but we are different people. And there are people that are going to be attracted to the way you teach and the way uh, you are with them. And there will be, that's why there's enough for everybody, right? Yeah. There'll be people that I will get. I think that to what I'm speaking about as far as body love goes is more of the commodification of body love. I think that to promise people body love uh is is really just a really it, it it's a big promise but if you promise people um if you give them ways to make it a practice a practice of acceptance um and maybe you'll get to body love that's a whole different situation you know um i just feel that the people in my space that tend to come to me have been uh, uh, vulva owners that are broken down by uh, diets, diet culture, fat phobia, dating, um, and are frustrated and stuck because they don't love their bodies, but they've tried everything, right? Um, I think by giving them the relief that they don't have to gives them sort of a backdoor permission to do it, but not have a timeline on it, not make it a goal, not think that it will happen someday, that it is a practice of accepting your body And uh, you don't have to love your body. You don't. You don't Mm. have to. And it's okay. And you're fine. And you're doing everything right. It will never all get done. And everything is a process. 
so I, you know, like I said, I love Sonia Renee Taylor. I love her work. Um, she is, she is talking to a group of people that are attracted to her message and she will help those people a great deal. Yeah. Um, and I think that's important for all of us to know there are different messages out there. No one has one answer because we're yeah. all so different. That Let's is, and thank you give for them bringing at least. Yeah. Well, and so I think this dovetails quite nicely into ways in which you and I are actually very similar in our approach and things mm -hmm. that, um, yeah. within, because, uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but but neither of us come from a spiritual based approach when we approach intimacy and sexuality, education and coaching, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, yet. I, 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 yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> well, but before we started our recording today, we got very excited. We were talking about a bunch of stuff, but um, you know, this feeding into this idea of. Uh, you've got to love your body. You know, this pressure, I'm hearing you say like, it's become commodified. There's this pressure to do this thing. I'm seeing a lot of pressure from people within our space, L, pressure to be the multi-orgasmic goddess, you know, female sexual goddess and, and, and the commodification of the, of the yoni eggs and, and the goopifying of our sexuality um, in a way that is putting a lot of pressure. Um, I, I have worked with many women who, who've either never had an orgasm before or who have had them alone, but not with partners, right? And this same trajectory of, cool, let's see if we can get there. And if we can't get there the, to the big O, we're going to have a heck of a lot of fun along the way. But But removing some of that pressure... Um, how do you see yeah, I, I, it's, yeah, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, uh, I think I'm going in the direction you were going to go in, but I'm not sure. Uh, I have a friend staying with me, Anne Hoddership, who is a great, uh, sex educator, um, in her own right. And we were talking about, uh, we we're watching this documentary called Orgasm Inc. about slow sex and the one taste, um, movement. And I looked at her and I said, oh, well, this is just someone who's made a multi-level multi marketing um, uh, business out of mutual masturbation and relational skills. Okay, it's nothing wrong with the practice, but she had perverted this one area into whatever she wanted it to be, right? So it's sort of similar with women's sexuality or can be, the goopification of it is, I see an area that needs help. I'm going to help. And they don't do their research and they don't think it through as much, or they get experts that they see that are sort of the loudest that are out there promoting themselves and doing all of the, which is nothing wrong with that, but that's more important than getting someone who really knows their shit. Right? So the, the point of sex education or the purpose of sex education is often um, teaching people to unlearn how they look at things, unlearn what they're being told uh, by the magazines they read, by the shows. Even, you know, I love, my favorite show is Dateline with, with Keith Morrison. I'm a true crime junkie. I love it. 
But every time they talk about a woman, they describe her as beautiful. They don't do that with the men. Yeah. They don't say he was a handsome young man. She was a beautiful, vibrant woman. What does that get to do with it? Mm-hmm. And it is, it's those little pieces that seep into our brains that we need to unlearn that beautiful isn't the price we pay to be sexy. That um, unlearn that who told you you need to have 12 different types of orgasms or that there are 12 types of orgasms. How about the, the meme and the idea that went around that there are 8,000 nerve endings in, in the clit where they just found that there are more than 10,000? Mm-hmm. Because it, it, is, it is people want bite size. They want a meme. They want a tweet. They want everything in that. And I get it. But education has now become first you must unlearn and now you must learn. It's making them aware. It's teaching them media literacy and not to always ask themselves what is true in this situation, really? Mm -hmm. Like you were saying, you know, you've had clients who have never had orgasm or have it by themselves. And what is behind not being able to orgasm for them? Is it that they don't feel like it's worthwhile, that they're worthy, that no one's ever given them one? What is it? Because unless there's some medical reason, we're capable of it. And it all comes down to learning, unlearning the crap and learning that we all deserve pleasure in whatever way it comes. And there's no one way that's better than the other. Yeah. And I mean, just to to briefly answer your question, which might have been hypothetical, but but why I see this happening, where people are like, "Oh yeah, I can I can reach orgasm really quickly on my own," but I've either never reached one with a partner, or you know, it takes me significantly longer. Um, there there are usually a host of factors. One is, okay, what are you using when you're on your own? Well, I like to use this one particular kind of mm-hmm. toy. Cool. Um, do you bring that into the mm-hmm. bedroom with you? Like. Do you replicate with another person what you're already doing on your own, but also for some, it self-pleasure has been something that has, has been a secret part of who they are, a shameful part, especially if they're raised in um, a religious or cultural environment that doesn't even discuss female pleasure. So this thing that you've been doing mm-hmm. in the shadows for so, so long, orgasms, right? Orgasm Mm -hmm. has been this secret, naughty, dirty, perhaps even sinful thing that you've been doing and, and sharing that sin, air quotes, sharing that sin and that shame with somebody else that puts a tremendous amount of pressure on our brakes on the things that take us out of the mood. So definitely um, encouraging people to, to bring in whatever toys or methods they use on their own. And to, and to start introducing those with, um, with a partner, but also to very much ease into that. Um, don't expect it to happen the first time. Maybe you practice having your partner just in the room with a blindfold on while you use your toy on yourself. Just having an orgasm with another mm-hmm. person in the room before you leap to the conclusion of, okay, and now my partner is going to give me the orgasm. But there's yeah, so many things. And I really, truly believe, Elle, if we're talking about bite-sized, meme-sized things, the one thing that could undo so much of our sexual shame, regardless of gender, is if people had a basic understanding of the clitoris. 
like that in and of itself, then we would know like, no, there's actually, when we're talking about genital orgasms, there's really just one kind, it's, it's clitoral. Um, we would understand that most women or most people with, with vaginas don't reach orgasm through penetrative intercourse and why we don't. It would take pressure off of people with penises to give us orgasms that way. I mean, if if literally that was the only thing that we started teaching folks in sex ed, just that, imagine how much shame we could get rid of just through that, that one piece of basic anatomy right there. Yeah, you know, I I might actually go a little bit further. Yeah. Um, is that what will what will help get you there is getting to know your body with your hands making that a practice getting to know the topography of your body how you like to come how you like to be touched and under what context and conditions um cuz toys are great i am pro toy uh but there is something about using your hands. Hands have so much dexterity and so much different, uh, different ways of touching and, and using it. And when someone is touching you, they're most likely using their hands or their mouth or whatever. So to get used to that touch and know what how you like to be touched and then communicating like, hi, um, this is this is what I like. I like it this way. I tend to come really fast this way. Sometimes I don't come for half an hour. Sometimes I don't come at all. But I find it all so enjoyable. But um, but making it okay to talk to your partner, even during sex, right before sex, not in the bedroom, um, and just saying, hey, you know, I would love to try mutual masturbation. It feels really taboo because I've only done it myself and I've only done it one way my whole entire life because, you know, if it ain't broke. But it might be something that, I could show you how I like it and you could show me how you like it. And um, I think that the basic anatomy of it is vital, but I think even before that is telling someone where you like to be touched that arouses you and gets you going. You know what I mean? Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. But also, and, and a little asterisk here that for, for some people who have vulvas and vaginas, fingers don't cut it. Um, I, I will speak up and and some people need, um, that, that intense, direct external clitoral stimulation. So I also don't want to shame people if it's like, well, I've tried my hands and they don't do the thing, No, no. but get curious. What I'm trying to say is your body. And like, I discovered my body that way. And I discovered that like the inside of my wrists were really sexually pleasurable to touch not something I would have found out any other way. Now, when I masturbate, do I use my fingers? No, I use a vibrator. But when I'm with somebody, mm-hmm. um, I am able to tell them, you know, I like it this way. I like it that way. And if it's not working, I'm like, okay, I'm taking up the, the bullet. You know, <laughs> um, all of that is part of it. All of that is part of exploring our own bodies and taking the shame away. The more we touch our bodies. And because if you think about it, when um, people with penises grow up, they are touching their penis all the time. They touch it to pee. Yeah. They, you know, rearrange it. They do whatever with it. But 
people with vulvas are taught that it's kind of dirty. They have to wipe it clean. They don't touch it. They're not told that it's right to touch it. So they're not used to it. And so I think being able to touch our bodies without, um, with abandon and without shame, and then being able to share that with somebody else is, is a really nice step into sexiness, into body acceptance, and into um, sexual pleasure ex acceptance as well. And, I'm, you know, I just speak from personal experience in that way. But um, yeah, no, I, uh, I own more sex toys than I can count, and I covet all of them. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, what I tell for some, for some folks, because um, especially if you are using your hand or you're using a small vibrator, one half an inch in the wrong direction can be the difference between orgasm. And I actually don't feel a goddamn thing right now. So when, when couples are starting mm -hmm. off exploring with toys together, I typically say the bigger, the better, get a, get a big wand because you don't have to have mm -hmm. a, an eagle eye precision. Get a big wand with a large head with a large surface area because it's kind of like, um, I don't know, like, uh, yeah, just just the, the easy building blocks that you need. Make it as simple as possible. And then if you yeah. want to move on to smaller toys, you can. But um, set everyone up for success Absolutely. here. <laughs> oh, well, okay. Elle, wands are like the number one recommended. Yes. Yes. And they're kind of magical, right? <laughs> um, so <laughs> what would be uh, one tip that you could give folks that they're like, all right, I want to, to start a practice around, I want to start this journey of, of body acceptance. What's one tip that you could give listeners to walk away with to start doing that? Uh, my first tip is to notice, notice how many times you judge yourself during the day and how many times you judge others, regardless of what you're judging them for. Literally write it down. Spend one day doing that. You will be amazed, right? Uh, because that shows you how much bombardment you're getting uh, from the media, from yourself, from the old tapes that you're listening to, from other people, and how you judge other people is usually how you judge yourself. Mm. So if you're judging someone, say, she's got a really big ass. She should not be wearing those pants. Um, hmm. Why am I saying that? Why does that bother me so much? Why do I feel snarky with, oh, because I have a big ass and I don't wear those pants. Uh, because I don't think that I look attractive in them. Mm. Like dig, dig deep into those areas. If that's not something that feels that resonates, I think just the act of replacing any negative thought that they have with something neutral. Um, you know, my, when I don't feel good about my body and I don't like anything about my body, I focus on my nails. When I was little, there was nothing attractive about me to my, to my mother really, except my nail beds. I had great nail beds. So to this day, you can tell me anything about me, but God damn it, motherfucker, I have gorgeous nail beds. So <laughs> if I'm feeling bad about my body, I'll be like, God, I just, I don't like the way I look. I'm like, oh, those nail beds are so awesome. Or I will go to neutral and be like, 
I love how padded my ass is because I can sit for a long period of time. Or um, it's so soft when I touch it. I love my skin. If you can't say something positive without 100% believing it, say something neutral. Mm-hmm. That's that's my those are my go to tips. I would say. I I have to just share a quick story because you brought up nail beds. So, um, a practice I do with my clients <laughs> is I have them uh, look in the mirror. I have them do this for a week. Uh, look in the mirror nude once a day and write down one thing that you see that you mm-hmm. like. Okay. And I had a client mm-hmm. I worked with. And she completed her log for the week. And then when we got on our session, she said, Rena, could you tell I was scraping the bottom of the barrel by the end there? I literally said, well, I guess my nail beds are pretty nice. But, um, but you know, like, literally. and so when you said that, I was like, oh my gosh. And, and so if I said, write down, you know, 10 things in in one minute that you don't like about your body in the mirror. Yeah, that would be easy because we're accustomed to to looking at ourselves through that critical gaze. So I would add on if people want a different kind of alternative suggestion or in addition to what you recommended, practice the looking in the mirror thing. It is a practice. You're not going to do it once and all of a sudden be okay. But maybe it's, well, I don't mind my eyebrows, right? It doesn't have to be something you love about your body. It can be. I have pretty yeah. nice nail beds. Yes. And that's just as valid as any compliment you give yourself or anything you love about yourself. You know? Um, and two things can be true at the same time. You can not like your ass and love your nail beds or vice versa and still feel pretty hot. Yes. You know? Well, amen to that. That's All a really right, good Al. practice. Yes. So thank you so much for being here today. Uh, where can people find you? I'm at lchase.com, E-L-L-E-C-H-A-S-E.com. And on all the social medias, I'm the L Chase. All righty. Thank you so much, Al. This has been awesome. We could do this for days, I'm sure. And we'll have to pick this up next time we see each other in person. Yes, I think so. I think so. Thank you. Thank you, Al. I hope that episode was helpful. Hey, listen, if you want to share your singlehood journey, if you've gone somewhere, come back. If you have revelations and wisdom, please share your story. It's going to help other people. Nothing makes us feel more connected than hearing other people's stories. So just send me the audio of your story and you could just record it directly from your phone and email it to theangrytherapist at gmail.com. Also, if you want our single on purpose newsletter, go to singleonpurpose.life that's singleonpurpose.life you will get tools and articles and other people's stories and also uh, zoom links to private gathers so if you want to join our community go to singleonpurpose.life thank you for listening be well we hope you tell a friend Hey, good morning. My name is Elizabeth. I'm on the East Coast and the Single On Purpose book was such an eye-opener for me. I'm 50, been divorced for a while, almost 13 years, dated on and off. And I notice when I come into a relationship, um, I come with my whole self and I feel confident and like I have much to give. But then I find myself diving into the relationship and 
um, overcompensating for something, and I'm trying to figure out what that is, meaning that I, I give up parts of myself um, to, to be in the relationship, thinking that's what love is. If I show them that I love them through the lens of not doing the things that I love anymore and kind of almost being a chameleon and taking on what they love to do um, and not honoring myself in the relationship. And I think that comes from my history of uh, childhood trauma and thinking love is about giving up your whole self. And as I was listening to the podcast, this is, you know, kind of an aha moment and thinking, wow, like my next relationship, when that happens, that I need to to be my true self and still honor the things that are important to me. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for putting this on your podcast. Uh, you're doing amazing work. I appreciate it. Talk to you soon. Bye.